Welcome to the Movement Made Better podcast, powered by Stick Mobility. We are your hosts, Dennis Dunphy and Neil Valera. Today's guest, we have a good friend and one of our top coaches, Ian Markow. Ian, I'll turn it over to you. Give yourself a little background on to the listeners, please. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm really, uh, really thankful for being here. Thank you, too, for having me on. You know, Stick Mobility has been great. Everybody knows how I feel about that, but... A little background, I'm a personal trainer. I'm based out of Miami right now, but I also spent five years in New York, which is where I met Dennis when I was working out of a physical therapy clinic, Fabian Garcia, and you know, you guys came and hosted and I was able to be a part of that first one and then some of the other ones after that. Really started off with a huge focus in mobility. Since then, I've kind of gotten to being more of a jack of all trades in terms of thinking more about integrating multiple systems and looking beyond mobility in certain ways. But it's still something that's a huge part of what I do and what most people would think of me as. And like I said, I'm doing a lot of online stuff. I do um, some courses. Dennis, you were the first person I called when I started doing workshops. I remember that. So yeah, I've been doing that and it's been great. A lot of my work's been online lately, but I'm definitely getting back into it more as uh, Miami continues to open. We'll pretend that we haven't been open for a while, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) as we continue to open, I'll probably end up doing more in-person stuff. So yeah, super, uh, super excited to be here. So are you working more with the general population or do you have a specific type of clientele that you cater to? So one of the things that I've been trying to do is kind of change my narrative, especially with the way that I'm talking to other other people people and and people within uh, social media, especially because I found that when I was doing a lot of the mobility training that you end up with a lot of people that are in the injured mind state. And for me, I'm not trying to be an online physical therapist as much as I can be, even though I might have certain tools, you know, so I've been really working on changing the narrative to be more towards performance, more towards health, even going after posture instead of injury prevention, like as crazy as that sounds doing that, because that that really, I, I love the way that that turns out in the outcomes. But I do work with a lot of athletes. I have soccer players, volleyball, tennis, basketball. So a lot of athletes, but definitely a lot of general population. And, you know, we're all kind of in a unique circumstance now where people are working from home. So there's kind of a lot of freedom in a lot of different ways. Well, we're all FRC. Yep. We've all t- taken that, but you also do kin stretch. So can you give the listeners more specific detail on what that is? Absolutely. So most people get confused, but it's really as simple as this. Kin stretch is the group application of FRC. So you're basically practicing functional range conditioning in a group setting in a class. So it'd be just like going to a stick mobility class, right? You're still using all the same principles. You're just doing it. So that's really what Stretch is. And that's definitely still a big part of what I do. Um, we have our EVM, which is like our online platform where we teach classes. And we have a ton of that stuff in. Still put up a lot of good stuff on YouTube about Stretch. But Stretch is really going to be mobility training, which for most people can think about the easiest way to think about it is really just stretching with strength training mixed together. A lot of these people that are listening have probably realized with stick mobility, it gets hard really quickly. Yeah, we always joke. I mean, if if you're not putting in, if your mobility work isn't hard, you got to kind of question if it's actual mobility work that you're doing, right? Absolutely. 100%. Well said. So, I mean, as far as your focus on, is it on reestablishing space in the joints? It depends. What I'm trying to do now is think less on the joint level and more on the skeleton level, which I know doesn't make any sense, but it kind of does. So like, for example, let's just break it down to lower body and to the hip. You know, I've been doing a little bit of research and, and learning a little bit more of a PRI, Postural Restoration Institute. Mm-hmm. I've been doing uh, learning as much as I can about flowability. That's another system that I've been integrating. So one of the things that I see here is when you actually gain control of the pelvis, a lot of the stuff that you've been fighting really hard for at the femur actually lets go or you get it for free in a lot of ways. So for example, you know, when your pelvis is tilted forward and you're kind of caught in extension, you can do all of the hip cars you want, but until the pelvis comes back a little bit, you know, you're kind of jamming up something that's closed down. So that's kind of my first thought, but then that's the cool thing about what I, what I'm trying to do and what I'm trying to be um, really all about is the integration of multiple tools, because you're going to get to someone who needs both. You're going to get to someone who would say, Hey man, I got, I can put you in the perfect position with stick mobility. You'll be able to tension exactly what I want. And you'll be able to really open up exactly what we're talking about. One exercise, that's it. I can even do pails and rails with it, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, having all the different tools for each specific person is kind of the, the beauty in my eyes. So is this, you know, basically how you're attacking posture and looking at it as, hey, if we can get the your skeleton in the right alignment, we will open up mobility at the joints. 
Absolutely. At first, especially coming from FRC, there's a lot of like negative connotation to the word posture, but it really works backwards for me as someone who's having to communicate with someone else. If our first conversation starts off with, hey, you know that deeply ingrained thought in your head? Well, it's wrong. You're wrong. Let me tell you why. Here's a bunch of acronyms. This is why this is, you know what I mean? It's just, you end up kind of like either confusing the person or like really kind of pissing them off in some ways too, right? Mm -hmm. So if you just go off a posture and you build on it instead of putting it down and just say, well, let's take a look, a deeper look. And at first, if all they understand is that things are stacked on top of each other so that they can move in and out of those positions better, then we're ahead of the game. You know, you don't have to make it so complicated or make it negative. Like you, you have to do everything. I think a lot of the things that come out of mobility training oftentimes is people will train for endless options, but not even train for the optimal one that they need first, which is where you see a lot of the idea of like gate training, like, okay, you can do this crazy backbend, but like you can't do a split squat. So maybe we should do that first. You know what I mean? Because when you walk, you don't backbend and you're going to walk away from my training practice. <laughs> so you should I probably bet. start there. You know, like there's a logical progression and sometimes for me lately, it's looked a little bit more like let's put them in a position that looks more like walking instead of let's do a ton of open chain hip work. Because mm-hmm. another thing, it's like that everything has a place, everything has value. But like when I put someone in closed chain with their hip, or even that's again the beauty of stick mobility, everything becomes closed chain. You start grabbing it and you push into a wall, and it's like all right, <laughs> this is closed chain now. You know what I mean? So like I think that's a really big kind of light bulb moment that I've had on that. Yeah, and I think with a, a closed chain option, people, they just have better body awareness. Yeah, so yeah. for the listeners out there that may not know, when we talk about closed chain and open chain, can you describe what we're talking about there? Absolutely. So a typical closed chain would just mean that your foot's on the ground. So like think a single leg deadlift. That's a closed chain. My foot's locked in the ground. I'm not going to just jump up and come down. An open chain would be more so like you're doing a hip movement, like you're doing a hip car. You're actually having your hip move through space, but it's not touching the ground. It's open. And that's needed, obviously, like when a cornerback turns around and chases the receiver, they need to open up, but they're eventually going to find the ground again. And I think there needs to be a high focus on that closed chain work. Again, thinking, well, guess what? Your hip can do all this stuff in space. That's great. But as soon as you get on the ground, how strong are you? What force can you put into the ground to go that direction and then change directions? And that's where I think that kind of um, supersedes or it's actually more important, especially early on in the process. Like with athletes, like your hip car looks great. But like, again, your split squat, we're doing 10-pound dumbbells. Like you're a soccer player. I, I kind of need you to do a little more than that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like we, we got to get it up there soon, you know, because one of the coolest things that came out of FRC is that that load capacity equation, mm-hmm. obviously just an unbelievable reduction. But at the same time, it's got so much value. But when we think about that, like same thing with the slit squat and the, the hip car, like, yes, you can do both. But early on, like someone's going to also need to be able to do a split squat and be able to do it with some load. And that's the same load that everybody's talking about with their pails and rails, with their hip cars, you know? So it's just, it's being able to really integrate both. That's super important to me. I know with what we just talked about interacting with the ground, we hear it a lot. I mean, it's a pretty common understood trait that we need to have, but it's, I still think it's really kind of neglected in many aspects when it comes to training, kind of maybe trivialized a little bit more than it need than it should be. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. Because I think we talk about it from, we hear when you learn how to sprint, right? Or jump, they talk, oh, get more ground force. But then that also has to be taught in when you're doing a split squat or you're doing a deadlift, right? You still have to understand what ground force reaction is. Absolutely. Especially with like something like the foot. That's something else that I've been like really diving deep into and like drive your knees out is uh, the squat right and like that works sometimes but other times probably not the best cue and then just the idea that you would actually focus on where you're going to put the weight on your foot whether it's going to be on the heel whether it's going to be midfoot and something i've been really seeing with people is like they literally cannot put weight on the middle of their foot and they just skip right into their toes and it's like you see the toes claw on everything and then it's like there's no stability there because you can't load what we really need to load which is the middle of that foot so that we can get the arch to lengthen and contract and all that good stuff that happens with the gait cycle and all that but when when you see certain things like even with the split squat like you can't put weight there it's funny seeing someone with their strategy like they're doing everything they can not to put weight there 
And like what you were saying about making it easy to close chain queuing, that's another thing that I'm trying to do more of is like, just put someone in the right position, whether that be sideline this way, that way, split squat, maybe a kickstand deadlift, but even more weight back to the left or something. So you put someone in the position so that you can say as little as possible. And I think you guys do a good job of that, especially with the play stuff, right? Because it's like, Mm -hmm. here's your tasks. I'm out. I'm just going to video and laugh now. Go ahead. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, so it's like, all right, I got to figure this out. But like, that's where your brain grows. That's where your body adapts. So like really just putting them there and having them figure it out where before I would just, I mean, I still do it because I can't not, but like just queuing so much, it's tough not to. It is hard. It's, it's it is really because we're just, I think, so ingrained to, to over cue that it is hard to cut back on that. Yeah. And you know, you kind of have this image of what perfect form is in your head and yeah. what you want to see, but you know, there's a learning curve to everything. So you just got to watch. I think you got to watch your client for a while and not say anything, see what goes on. And then it gets really bad and they can't overcome it. Then you start implementing different strategies. Absolutely. Yeah. And even like, Hey, you're doing a, a deadlift. It's like, did you feel your lower back working? It's like, no, don't, don't even say that. Just wait. Just wait, just be like, all right, great. You on to the next one? You know, especially because like I talked about with the mobility thing, a lot of the people that will come, they'll come with limited mobility, but they'll come with anxiety. They'll come with issues with their family. And I'm not saying I don't want to work with these people, but we're also only as good as we can. I can't be a psychiatrist, this, that, you know what I mean? Everything. So at the same time, you have these people and you're like, what are my, is my communication making them feel strong or is it making them fearful? Is it making them feel less than, right? Because if my first day, like I put them through an FRA, right? Like the functional range assessment. And it's like, so you have no hip, (laughs) you have no shoulder, uh, (laughs) but we're going to build it up and it's going to be hard work, but you're going to be, you know, and then this person just leaves crushed, you know? So like, and then the the third day, it's like, hey, is your back hurting? And it's like, well, now it is because you told me I didn't have a hip the other day. So like, (laughs) You know, I got out of bed. I'm like, now I don't have a back either. Like, do you have any? And then you have to be the one to give them the back. So it just, you know, the more you look at, especially with the way that social media is, and like, we're really creating dependency in a lot of ways. And it starts with the communication because you really want to empower them. And over cueing and even over asking sometimes, like, hey, did that hurt you? Like, why would you even say that? Just don't even say it. And they might not even, they might never recognize their back again. They won't think about it. You know what I'm saying? Do you find that a lot of people are very fearful of of actually learning how to move their spine? I get a lot of that where like someone's very scared about this. And it's funny because a lot of the stuff that I'm doing, especially with posture is I'm telling people not to move their lumbar spine. Like I'm teaching it, but I'm teaching them how to do it in what I believe to be optimal. And it's not used in a fearful context. And I think that's what the biggest separation is. It's, mm-hmm. hey, you're going to exhale. Hey, we're going to get your breathing to be a little bit more optimal. We're going to teach you how to be really strong, even stronger than you are now. And you are really strong. You ready? You know, instead of, like, hey, the, the studies are in on back pain. We just drew this muscle on this guy. And like, look, it's, <laughs> it's stretching and that's it. And, and you know, like that whole thing just drives me nuts. So after you do, you know, an FRA on someone or, or any kind of assessment, do you actually tell them what's going on or do you just shy away from that now and just, hey, look, this is what we're going to do first to start getting better? I'll start off with the it, it depends clause per usual just to get it out there. But, you know, depending on that person, there's going to be different ways that I'm going to go about it. And some people, if especially if they're an athlete and the way that they're kind of like, um, conducting themselves and if they're, if they're very organized, I'm going to give them all the answers, especially if they're organized. Like I'll have people that will like print stuff out and they'll come in the first day like, all right, I'm ready. Or they'll have like a notebook with them and stuff. And I'm like, all right, well, guess what? If I don't give this person the answers, they're going to be asking me anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give that to them. But what I'll give to them is what they won't freak out about. And more so just the basics for them to get going and like feed their mind to start thinking about it. And that's why I try to have that, co- that conversation with them because the FRA became, instead of the first five minutes, just getting your name and then starting to pull on your shoulder and stuff, it became a 30 minute conversation. And they told me more in that conversation than they told me in the FRA. And they'll tell you in the conversation, if you listen really well, and if you ask a couple of good questions, they'll tell you how they want to learn. They'll tell you what didn't work for them before. One of my biggest questions is, Hey, what have you done so far to address these issues and what worked and what didn't? And the first thing they'll say is like, well, this guy, he did a really good job. He had great videos. I never had any questions. They were very informative. 
And that really helped me a lot because I didn't feel lost. Okay, great. Guess what? I just added extra text to your thing. You're going home with this. Let me know if you have any questions. You have my number too. And then they're like, oh, great. Now I can do my homework. You know, in the conversation, they often will lead you exactly to what you need and they'll tell you what they're scared of, where they want to go, what you should focus on in terms of the positives and how to really teach them a lot of the ways. Like, do you, are you a visual learner? Do you listen to a lot of cues? Some people will be so much in their head that I'll just like, Start off with just turn the lights off, learn, learn how to breathe, relax. And if you send someone home after the FRA, that was one of the big things about the breathing is I would teach someone how to breathe the first day now because the old way where you'd leave like, man, my whole body's terrible. I have no, have no joints. <laughs> I don't know how this happened. Just, uh, apparently it's Friday and I have no hip. I don't know. So you leave like that or you leave like, man, you know, I just realized that my breathing is, is not really great. And uh, I just found out how to work on it. I'm actually working on it right now in the car ride home, just by breathing through my nose. And they'll literally feel better just from that. I mean, that's just such a, it keeps happening time and time again. Like you just do some nasal breathing, things start going better, especially now that it's, you know, that's been really, really helpful, a really good paradigm shift for me. So as far as yourself, I mean, I, we always get the question, how many times a week should I be putting in for mobility specific training for yourself personally, how much time do you devote? So personally, I probably do. I like upper body uh, cars before a uh, upper body workout. So I usually do like maybe like a repositioning or like a, a breathing drill. I love neck, thoracic and shoulder cars and sometimes elbow. I'll do elbow cars as I don't do bicep curls anymore. I just do elbow cars and you just make them heavy enough. And it's just like, I mean, go get, go do 10 really slow elbow cars with a 20 pound weight. And you'll be like, all right, never mind. You're good. You're right. And then you get that rotation through the elbow. So it's mm -hmm. like, that's kind of where I've been at. And I think that's what you guys alluded to earlier when you said it's like the, the mobility work needs to progress. It needs to progressively mm -hmm. overload. So you can't just be opening up the book on your side. How many times are you going to open that same book? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're eventually going to need a band to it and rotate with it or whatever it might be or the med ball, right? So I think that's really the big thing. So I'm doing that in my warmups. I'll do definitely like a total body cars day on, a, on an off day. So I would say maybe five to 10 minutes a day and then maybe a 20 minute session. So way less than I normally would have. I don't do a full daily cars anymore. Uh, something like ankle cars. I mean, I probably get 40 done a day, but that's just because my ankles sucks historically and I'm just going to keep them easy under the table. No problem. Yeah. Cause you can do that without anybody even knowing what it is you're, that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. I've done five on this podcast. Nobody even knows. <laughs> exactly. There you go, man. I got a little sheet of paper here. <laughs> so have you had to do less mobility work because you're, you're loading it now or, you know, because absolutely. you've built up, you know, you've built up more strength and you're like, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm at a good point. Now I can just go play my sport or go train both of them. And then the third one would be like what we were talking about earlier, where like the positioning of my rib cage and my pelvis, and getting air into the backside of my rib cage, especially just like expanding in between your shoulder blades. Like I've always had good shoulders, but like just getting that and instead of doing a ton of sleeper, a ton of this, a ton of that, that's helped me more than anything because it, you keep it. Because if it can expand back there, the ribs are going to move. And when the ribs can move, the shoulders are going to move. You know, it's just that proximal stability for distant mobility. Like, you know, everybody has the right principles. It's just how we all apply them differently. But I think that that's, that's one of the most crucial ones. And that's definitely something I felt. And yeah, like you said, I totally think that doing five, you know, shoulder cars with a five pound weight, what is a better strategy in terms of efficiency than doing 10 a day with no weight. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, like if we look at training, I think you'll even see this in a lot of the flexibility programs. If you follow a lot of the like kind of the top guys, one of the things that I usually see them say is things like, hey, I'm training my adductors today like you train your deadlift. Like this is not something I'm going to do tomorrow. Like I'm going after it. And that's the same idea of progressive overload that you can't do progressive overload every day. Maybe it makes sense to do two shoulder days and have them be a little bit heavier with lighter reps. So I've been experimenting with that and I think it's been going well. Fantastic. Well, you had just alluded to that you have ankle issues chronically. Is that stemming? I mean, we know you love basketball. Is that predominantly where it was stemming from? 
Yeah, so I definitely had a lot of ankle. I, I sprained my ankle a few times. I had a, I tore the, uh, I think when you actually came to New York, I had tore the, uh, the part under my big toe. Mm. So like the ball on my foot and my arch. So I've had a couple of those things, but honestly, I've I've gotten them all back and up to up to par and have no issues with that. The only issues I have now is during the pandemic, I actually found out that I have an autoimmune disease. So like I'll literally have like sausage digits. So I had like a, a rough couple of months with that where like I'll wake up and be like, how how messed up are we that? I look down and my toe would be like purple and huge. And I'm like, oh, oh it's going to be a little rough. The morning, the morning walk's going to be a little slow today. So, uh, yeah, so that, that that's really the only thing that I've been dealing with lately. Um, but uh, luckily, it's been okay. I kind of figured it out. I'm, I had to stop eating eggs and, and look into food allergies. Uh, I had to clean up some sleep stuff. So I kind of look outside of movement, which has been a really big factor on why I've tried to change my mind shift, which is everything we've been talking about. Because you get stuck looking at lens, especially with something like health. Think about what everybody's doing right now. Mm-hmm. Everybody's lens about health is the vaccine, mm-hmm. but their lens about health should be way bigger, obviously, you know? Right. So it's, it, it's easy to get stuck into that. One of the things we discussed earlier this week or last week was a lot of people that we'd see in social media talk about mobility, but then we don't really see them transfer that into real life applications. And so for you, we were talking about how you play basketball. So you do your mobility work and then you take that to the court. So there's that transferability so people can see how it is it's being reflected in your in how you uh, how you play basketball. That's kind of a really good statement about the, the FRC or maybe the mobility community is that a lot of people are doing mobility training to do mobility training. Like mm-hmm. what crazy event are you preparing for? Your ankle is going to go there when all you do is walk your dog. You know what I mean? Like maybe as right back to it. Like you should be hiking. You should be with your girlfriend playing volleyball. You should be on the beach. You should be trying surfing. You should be playing the violin. Do something like that instead, instead of focusing on that, unless it's going to transfer over to what you're doing. You know, because again, you get stuck in that lens and you start looking at like, oh, I need more of this. It's like, I don't really think you need more of that to do what you're doing. And, you know, your kid is, you know, 0.4 pounds right now. You know, you don't really need to, <laughs> to be able to swing them around. <laughs> like, that's like you're, you're all right. You have what you need. But I think that that does happen. And that's why I, when I think about mobility work, I'm doing as little as I can. I'm doing as much as I need for it to pay off into what my real goal is which definitely is not to be mobile, to be honest. Like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be better at basketball. I'm trying to feel healthy. I want to feel strong. Uh, you know, all those things. And not that mobility can't get you there, but it's just part of the puzzle. Yeah, it's just one piece of the big puzzle, you know. It's kind of because, like, for me playing hockey, I can't be too mobile. Yeah. Like, I I have to have elasticity. I have to have, like, when we worked with Dr. Arthur and we did that two weeks that two days back to back. Oh yeah, I had a hockey game after that night on Sunday. I shouldn't have gone. Like it was that. Like, dude, I looked slower, like you're slower than ever, huh? No, not even, <laughs> dude. I could barely get keep my feet underneath me. Like my hips were like, I looked like Bambi out on the <laughs> yeah. ice. And I was just like, holy shit! I should have just gone home. Yeah, well, people people say you know they're like, oh well. Uh, everybody always pulls out that same study about flexibility makes you less power. But I think it would be way more accurate to say that it's not flexibility that makes you less powerful. It's the lack of training power that makes you less mm. powerful. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not because you stretched your hamstring. It's because you didn't ever do your hamstring in an explosive motion like sprinting. And then you went sprinting. So, mm-hmm. you know, of course, your power output was there. You didn't have any power in the first place or you haven't been training. it. Like for right. me, like especially coming out of the pandemic, I went back to the gym and just doing something like 20 med ball slams, like all out as hard as you can after you've been walking, you know, what I mean? oh, you're, like, you're like, wow, this is a little different. You know? <laughs> like eight seconds into that, you're like, holy shit, this is not the same. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah, you probably woke up the next day and your lats were sore, your abs were sore. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's like, again, right back into that progressive overload conversation like that, that effort, that intention, that tension, all that, it needs to hit the red at some point for you to really adapt. I just finally got back on the wall this past weekend. So what we had an hour and a half of climbing. And literally later that night, I looked at my wife and I was like, oh, I'm feeling stuff. <laughs> like, I'm like, I am definitely feeling stuff because it's been over a year since I've been on the wall. Yeah. So just that little hour and a half, my hips were like, uh, excuse me. 
I was yeah. like, we're here. But yeah, yeah was, I'm, I'm terrible at climbing. I know you guys are <laughs> way better than me. But when I did go, I was like the opposite. I couldn't use my hips because I was like, just like, I don't know. I was so, so uncoordinated on the wall in a lot of ways. And I just tensioned everything up. Just like that classic beginner move where you're just like, let's stay as far away from the wall as I can. I want to use as much <laughs> as possible. And like, I'm just in there just like that. And then you got, it was like 30 minutes in. I was like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to hang out over here. I can't, I can't video for you because my fingers were like this the whole time. And I was like, I'm just going to hang out. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I remember when you called me and you said that you were looking to create your own program. To be very honest with you, I loved it because I think more coaches need to have the confidence to be able to take everything that they've learned from all these different things and be able to figure out how do I now set this into my own protocols. I'm really, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm so passionate about that because it's really tough, man. It's a tough part of the industry. We're all building off of other people and what they've learned, who they previously learned before, you know, the classic kind of standing on the shoulders of giants quote. And some people just are, they understand it and some people don't, you know, obviously it's crucial to, to give credit. Everybody that knows me is always shouting them out, putting this up. This is where I go to the source. Some people will even ask me like, hey, can you teach me PRI? I'm like, no, but you can go to their website. You know, like I put something on my story. People ask me all the time, like, hey, how do you think I should learn FRC? I'm like, probably by going FRC. I don't know. Because <laughs> like, we all the time. But at the same time, well, my application of it is going to be different. Or realistically, my application of isometrics is going to be different, which is mm-hmm. you're going to have a course you, you, in your course. You cover isometrics or they. So does uh, Franz Bosch, you know, everybody's going to. So it's, um, it's, it's a really tough subject. And I, I, I was very fortunate to have you to be able to call and, you know, ask for help and, and see what you were thinking and, uh, you know, put it together. And it, it was one of those things that you really just learned from experience too, though, as I'm sure that you guys can attribute to, especially as business owners. I mean, my first workshop, I was like, Hey, Alex, who's my brother and my business partner. I was like, I just want to go to Australia. Do you want to go? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, we're going to try to do a workshop. He's like, do you know anybody there? I'm like, no. It's like, all right, let's do it. So I just put it up on Instagram one day. Next thing you know, there's like 12 people in Australia. They're like, hey, let's learn this, you know? And you just kind of go for it and build from there. And it's I've been very, very fortunate to have great students and even better teachers. And I'm looking forward to continuing that. I think we were really ready for the online platform, similar to your guys, you guys in terms of having a subscription and, and, and being ready for the pandemic. It was great. I'm also ready to get back in there with, with people in person more, but it's... Uh, it's been great to be an entrepreneur and be a business owner. That's for sure. So you're doing kind of 50-50 right now as far as online and, and in-person? So I actually don't even have one in-person client right now. Okay. So I have like a few people that are like, they come in, they go out. They're kind of like, you know, uh, more wealthy, like vacationing people mm-hmm. um, that I work with. Almost all of my stuff's online. I have a lot of one-on-one online clients. And then I manage our course and then I manage our um, our subscription model. So pretty much everything is online, but that's just for now. I'm sure, you know, I'm going to start advertising for in person and try to try to gear that up. It's been cool to, uh, you know, live that life where you wake up and you're the boss. And, you know, sometimes you watch Always Sunny on Monday at 11. A.m. <laughs> you know, nobody's there to really get pissed. <laughs> <laughs> What's one of the biggest obstacles that you've encountered owning your own business or running your own business that maybe you weren't expecting? Yeah, so definitely um, having to learn outside of your scope, meaning being a business owner, obviously we knew that we were going to have to post on social media and you know, learn how to do something like that. But in terms of like having a marketing strategy, graphic design, having to get you know t-shirts, things like that. So not even so much that early on, I think you do have to become that person because you don't have enough money to really just be like, all right, I'm going to build a team, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but early on you do that, but also being able to delegate it, being really good at like finding the right person on Fiverr. Like we're trying to replace my brother as a video editor so that he could do other stuff and kind of step up the ladder right now. So mm-hmm. like okay. finding someone that's, that does a good job, that's not really, really expensive. It's, it's, it's tough, man. It really is. So I would say that that would probably be the biggest obstacle is like scaling is really tough because you have to fill so many roles to really take it to the next level, especially with marketing, but also just having to be a jack of all trades where, you know, I would love to just be the in-person personal trainer. I mean, I could do that mm-hmm. in sleep, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But having to get pushed to be uncomfortable and like, 
be the podcast, be this, be that. It's it, it's tough, man. It's it, it's a lot, but it's also a, it's a privilege, also. Well, it's nice too because now you as as you develop you develop new skill sets. That's the one thing being a business owner will teach you. It'll teach you what am I good at, what can I learn, but then what are some things I do need to bring experts in on that are way better at this skill set than I am. Really well said. Same thing as saying it shows you what you're really bad. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It's, yeah, it's like organization. That's tough. Organization is not my skills. It's it's rough, man. Sometimes sometimes I have online clients and it'll be like they'll pay twelve weeks. It'll be week fifteen. And they're like, hey, Ian, um, are you ready for me to pay you again? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. You told me. No, like, that's crucial. No. But also, I think that they come to me and they're kind of just like, "Wow, this guy is really not in it for the money." I'm glad we're I'm glad we're working. Together. I'm like, yeah, I didn't even know that. <laughs> so yeah, it was like you said, you have your brother helping you out on the business end. Yeah, yeah, he's been a, he's been a tremendous help, and he's what I'm talking about in terms of having to wear all the different hats. He's done a way better job of me, so he's really why we've survived. I think in a lot of ways, or why we've flourished in pandemic especially so he's he's had to you know be on facebook and talk about how the stats come over to our advertising and all, all that stuff that um, you know he not only had to learn for himself but he also had to be able to communicate to other people so he's been tremendous and definitely like i said i figured out what i was bad at really quickly are there any uh, upcoming courses that uh, you're looking to learn or take personally yeah i want to do yours i want to do uh, the second one I'm trying to find the best date to yep. do it when you guys are ready. Yeah, uh, that's we, definitely. We don't even have dates set up. Right well, now. we're gonna do so. The level two, we're gonna do strictly online. Is that's our game plan? So that we're gonna start filming relatively soon. So hopefully we'll have that out, and then that's gonna be much more of a at home. You you know your study at home because for us for the level two, we're gonna be blending in a lot of other tools with the sticks. So yeah. it's we need to make sure the facilities have all these other tools available if we're going to do live in-person courses. So we were just thinking the online version is going to be a much easier access for people. Yeah, no, I love that. Uh, that's definitely at the top of my list. I also uh, I love that you guys would be adding even more to it because I know, I mean, if anybody that's followed you knows it's a lot more than just using the sticks, even though they are such a pivotal part of the uh, the production. But yeah, that's really high on my list. I definitely want to learn a lot more PRI stuff. So, you know, getting the primary courses down. It's tough for me to really dive in on that stuff too much, because like I said, I'm trying to kind of get away from clinical and get away from being your makeshift physical therapist and just mm -hmm. be your trainer. Um, but also that stuff has so much value and it's always like looking at me and pulling me in deeper. So I'm probably going to eventually jump that way pretty hard. I just did a uh, Gary Ward's anatomy and motion, lower closed chain uh, biomechanics. That was incredible. That was on foot. So I would definitely be looking at doing another something more with the foot if that came up. And then, um, you know, I really like WEC method. I went there. I think Savage Protocol is, is an absolute savage. He does some yes, really cool yeah. stuff. He's a beast. Yeah. Know, like, <laughs> like he's one of those dudes where it's just like, okay, yeah, there he is doing it. You know, whatever you say. <laughs> <laughs> like the knives, like you know, what are you gonna say? You don't like the core fit, whatever it is, it's working for him. So yeah, um, I, I love the ropes, man. Like when I when I, I actually bought a rope course, and when I use the ropes and when I run afterwards, I just instantly feel exactly what they're talking about. Very similar to what we were talking about. When you put them in the right position, the right exercises, things just happen. And you start to think about what Weck's been ranting about for like the past five years, like with the blonde hair and all that, and all of a sudden you put the ropes in there and you're like this guy might be on something. <laughs> like, this feels good. So you yeah. start to really feel that. I'm, I'm really interested in that course. And then um, I definitely want to do something very much like uh, track and, and strength and conditioning, but even more so like track related, like into sprinting. So I really like Atlas. Another person that I've been looking at is the Strength Coach Network with the Rugby Strength Coach, I think is his uh, Instagram handle. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, so I'm kind of looking at all those. Just we'll have to check that out. Oh, okay. Well, I think what's interesting is like when you were just talking about David, he, he gets you to look and feel more athletic. Oh yeah. I mean, we see some people that they run and they just, they do not look athletic in the least, right? There's no separation. There's no fluidness. And I mean, I, I honestly, I feel like I'm harping on it, but like, again, if all of your training looks like a radiation and cars, 
don't expect to go out to the track and all of a sudden be DK Metcalf or Bambi or something. Mm. Like you're not just going to start floating out of nowhere. Mm. If everything you've been doing is let's tension everything up. And I think that's where wet comes in because he'll be clenching his teeth and then he'll go and relax right into the ropes. You're going, Oh, okay. You know, and uh, you can also see how that plays into the explosive movement where they're able to be fluid, like the landmine stuff, man. I mean, I've been using landmine for years. I love that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I've been doing like, whether it's from functional patterns or wh whoever I saw do it first, um, I've been doing like, you know, the reciprocal stuff, which rolls right into gate, which rolls right into your eye. It's like one of those things where it's like, hey, guess what? Like 20 of these systems that I think have value are all talking about one thing. That one thing's probably important. And that's what that represents to me. And when wet just puts one elbow up, it's really just compression on one side, length on the other, compression on the other side, length on the other, which is, you know, really running. So a lot of what he says makes a ton of sense to me. And like I said, once you use the ropes, you can actually really feel it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love the ropes. No, it works yeah, great. Cause you can go, I mean, you can do them slow or you can start, you can do some power work with it too. Well, I think what's interesting for me personally on the ropes is years of just being a meathead and all the bench pressing and everything now is when I'm, when I'm using the rope, that's the times where I go, shit. I think about 30, 40 years ago, what I was doing 30 years ago and thinking, okay, this is history coming back to bite me in the ass. Especially as an athlete. I mean, I think that people are starting to wake up more and more and realize that like, you honestly don't need to back squat. You don't. I still think the trap bar deadlift is a great move for everybody. Like I love it. And especially like, kickstand like i said a split squat but like i really don't think that you need the traditional back squat anymore and i think people are starting especially the traditional deadlift like unless you're a power lifter i don't do a traditional deadlift with you and it definitely does not look like jumping or running mm -hmm. you know what i mean and that doesn't mean it's bad obviously you guys know that it just it doesn't seem to be the best choice for me and my, the people i'm working with do you think a lot of other coaches are starting to think of that same thought process I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely learned it from someone else. I didn't come up with it. So I guess someone, someone passed it on to me. And I think more and more people are starting to realize that, especially when you see, you know, there's so much content these days. So like, you know, even just following like NBA on Instagram and you just see someone who's clearly not back squatting or, or at least they don't look like that, you know, like they're, they're leaner, they're thin, they're not compressed. They're, they almost look long and they're being fluid and coming through. So I think you're starting to see more and more of that and thinking, hey, does this really add up? Or even seeing a lot of the people injured. You know, a lot of the people that call out other people for injuries, like they have a lot of injuries on their roster too. A lot of the famous trainers, it's kind of like, mm -hmm. <laughs> you have the last 10 guys you worked with, they're all injured. What are you calling people out for? You should be hiding. <laughs> I don't even think that that's, you can't do that too. Like that's not science. Like, oh, you're the reason this guy got injured. Like that's the worst reduction ever. Ever, ever. That's even worse than saying, I'm going to prevent all your injuries. Like, no, you're not. You're not even, you can't even, there's no way of even knowing that you're going to get injured. You wouldn't, you can't record that or, or measure that, you know? You know, and to actually recreate the forces that they're dealing with in an NBA game inside the gym is pretty much impossible. Absolutely. A million, a million times. Everybody asks me about Goda now. And like, that's, Goda is like the new functional patterns in a way where like they just piss you off so much. But at the same time, there's also like little tidbits that you're like, yeah, I've been doing that. Yeah, I've seen that. Or yeah, I've thought about that already, you know? So like, I've always kept functional patterns around in terms of like following a few people, even though I'm blocked for arguing with them, like, you know, whatever. <laughs> so but I've always tried to keep them around almost as like, you know, it keeps you straight in terms of like, you're not in your echo chamber. You're like literally following people that you disagree with so that you can just keep thinking like, all right, maybe that could be, it. you know, like it keeps ticking at you a little bit. And that's probably one of the reasons that that actually that I start training more, uh, you know, into the gate cycle. So anywhere that Nadi's there, just I'll give him a quick shout out right there. That's crazy. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so <laughs> the things, you, I, I feel very similar about that. Like some of those things make sense. And then the others are just a huge reduction, just crazy reduction. And to say that, hey, this guy felt like this, his training's that. That just doesn't, it's just, it's really bad for the athlete. It's bad for the next coach. And it's bad for even the person who's just a regular person going, oh man, my ankle dropped a little bit. I'm going to get hurt, you know? And I already found out last week I didn't have a hip. Now I don't have an ankle. Either, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Person's like, before I know it, I'm going to be just sitting in a chair the rest of my life. 
<laughs> yeah, it's gonna be in a wheelchair next session. He's like, I didn't have anything left. <laughs> yeah, you, you do have to follow people and read content of stuff that you don't agree with off the bat. Because like you said, over a period of time, you may start to realize, oh shit, maybe there's some validity to what I didn't agree with three, four years ago. Yeah, it's huge. Being in the echo chamber, if you guys have seen like on Netflix or whatever, they have that documentary, just about how the news is like that, how politics are like that. Mm-hmm. You're constantly searching for something that's just going to agree with you so that you'll be attracted to it. So you spend more time looking at it. I mean, that's like the exact opposite of what we should be doing from like a phil- philosophical standpoint, especially as educators. You want to be challenged. That's when you learn the most. That's when you truly are able to explain your point of view. It's not when someone says, yeah, you're right. You don't go further. You go, all right, cool. I'm right. Let's leave. You go, all right, well, now let me actually explain myself because you disagreed with me and I have to come back and reflect on how well I even know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens a lot with social media. Like I always say it like, and I say it because I was that person, but you'll see the FRC cert, right? And then the next day, there'll be 10 passive versus active posts. It's like a cycle. And then you go through the, the thing. The next thing, did you know that your hips need rotation more? You know, like I can do, I could write you out a whole entire marketing campaign for that right now, you know? And like everybody falls into the same thing. And that's great because it's great information. But if that's the only information you're getting, then you're going to be keep going into that same hole and not see the big picture in a lot of ways. And I think that's a huge problem, not only in our industry, but definitely in uh, the world, honestly. Yeah, it's that closed uh, confirmation bias, always surrounding yourself with the same people. So you don't really, you don't develop, you don't grow at all. No, I mean, where, where we met at, um, I, that was one of my favorite things about working at uh, Fabian's in, in New York, you know, he would literally come back every month with a new certification, a new technique, a new this. And I would just be like, okay, let's talk about it. Let's do it. And I'd see him so excited, putting it together trying to work on implementing it. And he was like this mad scientist. And I was just like this little guy out to the side watching, like learning as much as I could, like a sponge. Like, all right, I see he did this. And then I'd see him sometimes where he'd be trying something new. He'd be like, that didn't work. I'd be like, okay, it's okay, the next one, you know? And that's how you do it. You learn yeah. a little bit right here. And that one of them would hit really well. He'd be like, that was the one. Like, You're right. That was the one, you know? So like, that was a really big experience for me uh, uh, in New York. And I think New York is a microcosm of that, where it's just like so many people that are climbing to the top at the competitions there. And there's a lot of people that aren't afraid to be themselves. So you get a lot of people that are able to have those conversations with disagreeing. And uh, for, for the most part, obviously, everywhere is different. But there's a lot of education there where people are able to have good conversations that don't just turn into like, well, if your ankle falls, you die. If it doesn't, you fall. <laughs> And talk a little bit about more, more, more into better terms than that. We say it when we teach. We're like, look, we're going to throw some things at you, a lot of concepts that are going to go against or be a little different than what you've been teaching the last several years or whatever. And we don't expect you to agree with everything, but we at least want you to keep an open mind and think about what we're saying and how it may apply and counteract a lot of what you've learned. And ask questions. Like the, the to me, one of the things that I tell everybody that I either learn with or learn from or, or they learn from me is like the smartest people ask questions. It's a strength to be like, hey man, I don't know this. Just like it's a strength when you're working with your personal trainer and they go, Hey, this isn't my scope, or hey, I don't know. Um, I can point you to a direction that you might know that might know more, you know. Like I'm not gonna just know everything about neuroscience, but I'll give you the podcast, you know, you can check it out for yourself. So like think that's a huge part of it is being able to ask questions and then us as the educators and again this is really a, a microcosm i think what's going on in the world is instead of coming back and saying no it's isometrics and it's 15 degrees at every angle it goes well ask them a question instead so that they have to come up and be like oh well, actually let me think about this a little bit more instead of just here's the answer here's the metal here's this no go well what do you think about this why would it be 30 degrees on each side. Could it be 15 in each one? Maybe we're training more than just that one spot in isometric, you know, like mm-hmm. you kind of lead them down that way so that they have to think about it. And it becomes a critical thinking exercise instead of becoming, you know, benasm CPT, where I know, you know, this is where your blood sugar should be, but I also don't know how to put together a program. So it's kind of like, well, it's kind of a tough trade-off. Do you see a lot of 
lack of critical thinking. I mean, I, I we talk about it where a lot of coaches like just spoon feed me everything. And that's part of what we're trying to get away from is we're trying to get people to to not have to be spoon fed. Because I think this is a really good representation of what we're talking about is the idea that you're going to squat to 90 degree angles and nothing else. And anything beyond that is detrimental. But if you go to 85 degrees, it's not as optimal either because 90 degrees is optimal and it has to be everywhere. So then all of a sudden, every single exercise just looks exactly the same. And then this guy is training NFL athletes. And then you look at the NFL athlete and you're like, dude, this guy lives in 100 degrees of hip flexion like all the time. Like he goes there, he gets out of it. And, you know, it's like it's crazy to me that that is the lack of critical thinking is that this guy says Ph.D., he says 90 degrees. You read the article, doesn't say anything scientific in the article, just that his opinion is that 90 degrees is optimal. And now all of a sudden, now everybody's back 20 years back after we've already came forward and just said, well, some people squat past the glass, some people don't. Some people have different bones, some people have really short levers. You know, like there's so much across the scale. Instead of reducing it with no critical thinking to your knees will hurt if you don't squat to 90 degrees and your hips will be the most mobile ever, even though that doesn't make any sense. And the impact, like you said, when 300,000 people and men's health see that, it takes us back so much farther as a strength and conditioning team or a community. It takes us back so much farther, it just scientifically, honestly, because it's the exact opposite of the scientific method. Mm-hmm. And it's it's really way more detrimental than you think. And it's unfortunate, you know, you have someone coming to you like, hey, I moved my back yesterday and it fell out. And I'm like, what does that mean? I don't know. It fell out. And it's like, it didn't fall out. Just in. <laughs> it's still in, you know? Like, <laughs> it you did know, just disappear. It's going to be okay, you know? And it's like, but that's what, that is the outcome that I don't think he sees. And we see it all the time or I see it all the time because we're, those are the people that are coming to us. I just think there's always a problem when, you know, someone comes out and they say, this is the only way, this is the only way to train and no one's ever gotten good results without training this way. Absolutely. That's the worst. It, it really is. It, and it, 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 again, it just, it, it takes away from critical thinking because if there's only one way, then you don't have to think about anything else. You just do that way. Right. And then you get stuck in the same way over and over again. And I think it goes two ways too. So like one of the other things that I see a lot of is a lot of people will, especially with FRC, they'll hate on FRC or they hate on something in FRC and it'll be something that Dre has never said. Like it'll be an absolute. And they'll be like, yeah, yeah. well, he said, you know, you have to segment your spine on every single head hip hinge. And I'm like, Dre's never said, I know. It's like, you know, they, they have a lot of things that they do say that are great, that really, really make a lot of sense. And you should disagree with maybe someone, but, it also goes the opposite way where people start like telephoning these things. And then you're like, that's not what was said when I went to stick mobility. Like who, who, when did Dennis say that? Like you never said that, you know? It is interesting what you say, but what people hear yeah. oftentimes are two totally different things. Uh, I mean, we, we'll look at each other and go, huh? Well, how did you get that out of what we just said? That's not even close to what we said. I had somebody at one time in a workshop She's like, well, he used absolutes and that just totally discredited him. And I'm like, I don't really know if I ever use absolutes because I'm like in the most in most cases or a lot of times. But yeah, you can never really use absolutes. People get unhappy with it, too. And uh, but again, it's it's really the same issue, because when you're a critical thinker, you're not necessarily going to get satisfied when you get that one answer anyway. Or when you hear this is the way, you're like, all right, well, cool. I'll walk that way now, but let me think about it along the way and see if I can do something better, you know? Because that's that's really what you should be doing is every time you learn an approach, you should be looking on both how to integrate it into what you're doing that's been working and how to make it even better on your own. Very true. Very true. So we got uh, NBA playoffs coming up pretty soon, man. Who's everybody got? I'm pulling for the, for the Warriors just to make it through to the playoffs. But who's gonna win it? I don't know, man. If the if the Lakers are really healthy, probably the Lakers or the Nets. I'm a Lakers fan, so I'm gonna go with the Lakers. I would be, I, you know, who I would be okay with winning though is the Suns. I would love really, to, yeah. I really like Devin Booker. He's just an assassin. He's quiet. I think it would be cool to break the Kardashian curse. That would be cool. Um, like he's the only one that could do it. Uh, even though I'm not a Kardashian fan, I'm a Devin Booker fan. You know? 
and then also Chris Paul, man. Like, I don't really like Chris Paul, but like, he's such a legend. And what he's been able to do these past few years, like him and Melo, man. Like, if you really think about what they had to deal with, like, you're Carmelo Anthony, and they don't, they're not going to put you on a team because of whatever reason. Like, that's crazy. So for them to to persevere and um, Chris Paul to be doing what he's doing, leading that team, I would like to see them win. But I'm voting for the Lakers first. How about you? Yeah, you know, I, I love the Lakers, but to be honest with you, I want to see uh, the Warriors bounce them in the playoffs. <laughs> you know, I am not. Look, LeBron James is the man, but he's just not. I, I, he's not a Laker. He's just not. I just when he came out of the team, I was like, you'll mm. you'll bring winning back. But it was it's just it's kind of like when Carl Malone came to the Lakers. I was kind of like, huh? I was yeah. like, really? I was like, no, nah, I don't know. So. I'm actually pulling for the Clippers. Clippers? Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. I am. It's about time they finally got something. I mean, think about how many... It's been a long time. Yeah, yeah. I think if, if the Lakers aren't fully healthy, then the Clippers will probably come out of the West. So no, Okay, so no Nets then, huh? Well, I don't think anybody's rooting for the Nets. Is anybody actually... Other than Brooklyn fans, is anybody actually rooting, rooting for the Nets? Yeah, I'm not rooting for them. I think, I think if the Nets are fully healthy... They're a good With, team. Oh, yeah, they're, they're really team. good. Oh, they're a really they're, good they're, team. They're ridiculous. You yeah, know? they're ridiculous. Yeah, I love how Blake like couldn't dunk at all, and then he like went there, and all of a sudden he's like, <laughs> 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 it's like it, what happened? Like, did he did he have the Kardashian curse? <laughs> Something in Detroit that we didn't know about. <laughs> but the Brow is one of my favorite players, so I mean that he kind of cancels out the whole LeBron thing for me. But yeah, I, I love Anthony Davis. That guy's just—he's awesome. He's just—he's an absolute beast. He really is. My, my favorite thing about LeBron, and I think you can say the same thing about AD, is they're just—they have such clean reputations. Oh yeah. Like to be in the spotlight from as young as they were, like if you put me in the spotlight when I was sixteen, I probably wouldn't even oh. be eligible for this podcast. It would be terrible. You'd know <laughs> be like I mean? Justin Bieber. Like you could put me at ten. I wasn't. I couldn't even go to the safety patrol in Washington. <laughs> they wouldn't even let me do the safety patrol. So for them to be that case, never have anything go on. Like, I always salute them because that that would be tough. Yeah, that's something for a lot of kids that are celebrities in sports. You know, Sidney Crosby's handled it really well for as long as he's been in high profile. Yeah, you're right. LeBron's handled it well. The brows handled it well, and then you got other players that they haven't. They fall they fall apart. Yeah. So it's uh, it says a lot about the person more than the athletes. So yeah, but uh, well, we'll see what happens this year. But uh, yeah, I think the Lakers, if they're healthy, I think they take it all. So we'll see. That'd be ideal. Yeah. Where can people get a hold of you uh, if they want more content, more information? Yeah, so they can get a hold of me on Instagram. It's probably the easiest way. So that's at Ian Marco, I-N-M-A-R-K-O-W. Um, you can just send me a DM. Uh, and then if they wanted to do what we're talking about, if you're a coach, all the, the course that we were talking about is called Mobility Coach Plus. You can see it in my link tree. You can just click the link in the bio or just message me. And then if you're anybody else who's like just kind of, um, you know, someone working on get, getting out of pain or, or improving your performance, sports, whatever, just someone who's not a coach, wants to learn how to move better, you're going to go to uh, the Elite Video Membership, which is where our classes are from. Fantastic. Oh, know, Fantastic. Well, man, pleasure talking to you, man. Hopefully we'll get out to uh, Florida someday, some someday soon. Well, thanks for coming on, brother. And to uh, all the listeners out there, thanks for tuning in. And until next episode, be good to each other. <laughs>